What is going on, Fantasy Alarm family? My name is Justin Fensterman, along with Matt Sells and Ryan Hallam, and it's time for another meetup. It's the Family Times podcast here on FantasyAlarm.com. Always news breaking, it seems like these days, another wild week of sports. We're going to cover it all. Guys, how you doing? Sells, what's going on, man? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. I've got, uh, you know, NASCAR, F1, baseball, all being covered. I have fantasy baseball draft in Atlantic City next weekend. Um, so I'm in like sprint research mode for that. Um, but yeah, and I know, uh, Hallam, you just did tout, right? I did. Yes. That was, uh, last week and, uh, I think it went pretty well. I'm happy with the team. Uh, you can hear about it maybe, uh, um, well, I guess by the time this, it goes up my alarm after hours. Well, let's, let's talk about it a little bit. It is fantasy right. baseball. Good. Look at you, Matt Sells. Friggin' fire right from the start here. Good ideas. Let's talk about your team for a second. I mean, Ryan, you're a freaking tout. You not only survived the Tout Wars auction with the other touts, but you survived that amazing fan track site as well that just keeps frustrating me over and over again. Sells, you should and maybe, I don't know who runs the show there when it comes to site coding, but maybe they should learn to take the refresh off the site because it's not 2005. I don't know if you've seen this on fan tracks before, Sells. Yeah, they auto refresh uh, the site. It it gets a little annoying. Um, we uh, used to do that. We have since stopped doing that for <laughs> that reason. It gets very annoying when you're trying to read something. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty good draft from you there, Hallam. That's not those are not easy rooms no. to go in. Um, and then you had a mock draft with uh, SI too, right? I did, yeah. That was a very loaded room with, like, Jen Piacenti. I know Greg Jewett was in there. Um, Jeff Erickson Erickson was in there. Uh, A lot of, yeah, that was another, yeah, really, really hard. Was Cardi in there? Um, I don't think so. I mean, when we're talking about competition at this point, that's why this is draft (laughs) season. So, I mean, Hallam, let's talk auction strategy for a second because you went in very heavy early on spending on players, and it was very, very awesome to see because, I mean, taking a look, we got to talk about who you got a little bit later on on the cheap in that auction, and that is the Talent Wars head-to-head points league that is a points league. I love points leagues. But right off the bat, in the first 10 players put up for bid, Trey Turner, Matt Olson. Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis, you acquired them all. Was that your plan going in? Because there seems to be two schools of thought when it comes to auctions. It's either, hey, you come out spending early, being aggressive, getting who you want, or you wait a little bit, especially in fantasy baseball, where you have what's called the hammer, meaning you have most of your budget and you can control the game and spend on whoever you want in the middle rounds. What was your strategy heading into this one? Uh, I'm always come out of the gate fast um I, I feel like sometimes there's a couple people who don't like to do that and that just takes less people out of the pool so maybe you're you know bidding against seven or eight people instead of 11 people i like i know ariel cohen is one of those like he didn't hit anyone for for 49 picks it was 49 picks before he had his first buy i had eight people by then so yeah i mean there's there are two very different ways and he always does very well so obviously you could do it both ways and, and win uh but you know, the mega, mega superstars mostly come out right off the bat. So that's who I want on my team. Like you couldn't have probably a, a, you know, a snake draft and get those four guys. 
I mean, maybe with a Tatis injury, but you're not getting Turner Olsen and Acuna in any draft. So now I have all three. And, well, maybe you know, if you're in the back part of the – well, no, because Turner's going off the board first and Acuna's not coming back to – yeah. 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 So, so yeah, it, it, may, it makes things difficult. It makes you – know, you really have to watch – and be patient and, and wait for your spot after, you know, you go on a huge spending spree. And I, you know, had maybe a hundred dollars left after the first 50 picks. So, you know, and it's a long time, it's like 200 and something picks. So it's a lot of discipline to then find your spots, find your, you know, the, where the values are and, and try to pick off what you can. Yeah. See, that's the trick, right? Everybody thinks that waiting for your guys takes patience. Both of them take patience, but in opposite ends, right? It takes, if you're like Hallam and you go and um, go for all of the dudes that are coming up early because you want your guys and, you know, budget be damned. It takes patience on the back end to wait for the guys and not just settle for, oh, this guy's a buck, so I'll take him, right? Like, that doesn't do you any good. You've got to wait for the guys that you actually want that you know are in that cheaper budget. But on the Ariel Cohen side of things, it takes patience to sit there and watch the superstar hitters go off the board and superstar pitchers go off the board and know that you can find value in a place that you don't think anybody else is going to find value. It definitely takes – and I'm in, a, I'm in a league next weekend that's an auction value, and we have both types of people – um, in that draft room, 20 people in that draft room, half of them are kind of, well, I'll dabble a little bit early and then I'll really make my move late. And there's another guy who literally just, you, he could basically sleep through the first two hours and then start drafting. And then there's me who, if I see a guy I want, I go for him because I have the option of doing that. So, um, I'm like Ryan. I tend to like to go for my guys early. I don't want to have to take the guys that I'm essentially settling for, right? Um, but both can be winning strategies. You just have to be very disciplined at what you're doing to yeah, make either one work. The other thing that I definitely, if you're going to do the spend early, and this is my own opinion, and I think, Fancy, I'm pretty sure you share this. Once you, your nomination comes up, it's anybody you don't want because let's get everyone else's wallet as empty as yours is like, okay, I got Matt Olson. So you know who I put up next? Pete Alonzo. You know, what I put after that Jose Abreu because you know, I'm not going to take another high price first baseman, but I'm going to take 30, $35 out of somebody else's wallet. So they're just as broke as me. So that if you do this spend early, it's a long time of nominating people you don't want to get people's wallets empty. And then the other crazy part is when at that point, when do you start nominating people that you do want? Uh, you know, and that's a slippery slope because you're not going to be the person with the most money. So you have to, you know, at what point is everyone else's budget around where you are that you can start putting out people that you do actually want? I'm all about getting money off the board. However, and this is just a strategy that I've used and I love playing in fantasy sports auctions. But if you have that very first bid, you have the opening player to nominate. I would put a player you want up there. There tends to be hesitation. People are feeling out the room. People don't want to spend. Oh, do I want to be the one to spend the first team with the money? I'm telling you, I know it's kind of weird to talk about, and there's no statistical evidence I have to back this up, but I've been in about 100 of these auctions at this time. 
And I just, I noticed that for the first players, sometimes even the first few, people are a little trepidatious when it comes to their spending. And I've been able to benefit in getting a player I do want. And then, Ryan, when I'm back up on the board the next few times, then I start trying to get money off the board. But especially if I'm in that first three, four pick area and I'm seeing tentative bidding, I'm going to go in on a player that I want right away so I can take advantage of that situation. Yeah, I'm I'm with you that early in the draft, it seems like, and this happens for every auction I've ever been in, it seems like the first couple rounds, nobody really wants to spend a lot of money on dudes, right? They'll nominate some guys, but they're still hoping to get value for their nominations, right? So, like, I mean, I, I'm sure that the guy that nominated Trey Turner was not expecting value at Trey Turner, right? Because he's clearly, now that Tatis is injured, he's clearly the number one player on the board, right? But I would I would go ahead and, and go with that strategy, too, of nominating a guy you want early so that you can maybe get him for a few bucks less than you anticipated. And then when it comes down to dollar days, you have a couple of, uh, you know, a couple extra bucks in your pocket there to maybe finagle a guy out. Ryan landed Trey Turner in this one, fifth player nominated at forty dollars in this one. So that's that. Is that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good value. There. You know pretty good value sells. I'll tell you, pretty good value that Ryan got late in this auction. By the way, auction full of talents. By the way, so funny that certain things still tend to slip through the cracks, but. If you notice, and if you go in, the draft boards are all over the place on Twitter, especially at SiriusXM Fantasy. But you would see that Bartolo Colon is on Ryan Hallam's team. And what you think, well, what's this idiot doing? He's the complete opposite. It was a placeholder in this particular kind of league in Tout Wars. Shohei Otani, kind of like Voldemort in Harry Potter, is split into different souls, the pitcher version and the hitter version. And the pitcher version of Shohei Otani was not nominated until very, very, very late in this auction, about 245 picks in. Here comes the pitcher version, and look who has enough money to put a couple of bucks. Ryan Hallam, for $2 sells, $2 as Shohei Otani, the pitcher in town. See, it's amazing to me that, that now, in fairness to the room, it seems like every draft I talk to talk to somebody in, they have a different approach on Shohei Otani, right? So we have it in my league. He is one person. We have weekly roster moves, so you can make the decision on a Monday morning that you're going to get his hitting stats for the week, and you're going to forego the pitching stats. You have to or declare you, though at that time, right? Labor is the same way, and I got and or you could decide the other way that you're going to forego the hitting stats and just grab the pitching. So we also have innings minimums in my league. So if it's getting later in the year, you'll see the guy that has Shohei Otani put in more in pitching so that he can get the innings from the starts and just say screw the offense because I've already got enough of it, right? But I think that's part of the reason why this guy keeps slipping through the cracks is because every league. Like, Ryan just said labor treats him different than tout. And there's a lot of guys that are in labor and tout. And so mm-hmm. if you think about, oh, Otani's off the board. Oh, crap, this is tout. There's a second Otani. Can I, can I stop you for happen. a second? Can I stop you for a second? 
There is no excuse for these other touts. I was covering this from an auctioneering standpoint, and I saw that rule ahead of time. I forgot it for a second after a year, but it was very clearly said in the rules. And with Todd Zola, who does a great job, he couldn't have made it more clear. I wasn't even in the draft. I was just kind of auctioneering, and I knew that rule going well, in. I will say, I can't take credit. I didn't nominate him. I just was the only one with money left when he was nominated to put the $2 bid on him. So I, I, I forgot about it. I'm going to be completely honest. You didn't I have to about say it. that, Ryan. That's, I'm not that's very nice of you to say that. <laughs> so I, I, I just think nominated him. I just, that was the only one with $2. Yeah, yeah I, I think it stems from the fact that there are different rules in seemingly every draft room as to exactly what you – and if you go to the sites – for layman's drafts, too, like snake drafts, you'll see Fandrax treats them differently than Yahoo, which treats them differently than CBS, which treats them differently than ESPN. So this guy's a unicorn, and so much so that MLB just made a Shohei Otani rule. You guys see this? Yes. The pitchers that... can, can remain as DHs when they come out of the game. Oh. Specifically for Shohei Otani. Yep. Right. So when the Angels take him out as a starting pitcher... And he's gonna be DHing for them when he pitches. Right. He can stay in as DH because otherwise the Angels would be screwed and lose their DH, and they'd have to hit their pitchers at that point. So they made the Shohei Otani rule. So everybody's still trying to figure out exactly what to do with this guy. And on a, on while I'm being completely honest, when I did get him in labor. Uh, I believe he was the first person nominated, and I think he went for $27. And I didn't know the, what the rule was on him, but I, <laughs> I, I knew that wasn't a lot of money, and I wanted him. <laughs> so yeah, that's I found a pretty out, good deal for both the hitter and the pitcher. I found out after that I had him for both. So to be in the in the spirit of complete honesty, <laughs> I drafted him not knowing the rule, but it was, it was uh, cheap enough that I didn't care. <laughs> and, and in other news... Know your league rules. I know yes. now I know why this is being talked about a lot by Howard Bender on Fantasy Alarms on Sirius XM lately. You gotta know your league rules going in. It's, it's yeah. very important. He was, he was yeah. the first person nominated. I got him for $27. And by and the I'm way, like, that's yeah. that's especially important, not only for Shohei Atani, but in points leagues. Right? Roto is reasonably standard. The rules come in with, you know. Yeah, Shohei Otani, but like when trades happen and what the waiver wire situation is and whatever. Roto's reasonably uh, standardized at this point. Reasonably, there are still differences you should still know. But points leagues have different point totals for each thing. Ryan and I just went over this like literally yesterday for Fantasy Alarm, double checking that all of the points were correct for CBS and ESPN and Fantrax and Yahoo. And if you look at our projections, all of the guys are projected for the same thing, but the points are different for basically every one of those on a default setting. Some of them, steals are actually worth something. Some of them, steals are not worth something. So a guy like Trey Turner in a points league where steals aren't worth a lot may not actually be your best pick for number one overall, right? So you should know these things going in because it's going to adjust where guys uh, fall in the draft, and you'll be surprised, like, why is Trey Turner still on the board? Well, if steals are only worth one point but homers are worth six, guys that hit home runs are going to go before a guy who steals bases. 
It's funny you say that because I was noticing when listening to the Sirius XM coverage there, and I believe it was Glenn Colton, family member Glenn Colton, who kept pointing it out, Alberto Mondesi really doesn't have as much value in a league like this because in normal leagues and categories and in Roto, yes, you're drafting him for the steals, you're drafting him maybe for the average as well, but in points leagues where you need things like doubles and you're needing the actual hits and you're needing big time hits and at bats. I mean, the steals really outside of that, they're not as valuable with him. Thus in maybe a points league, I know everybody's got a price, but at the same time, that's a player that I really don't want any part of. I feel like in a points league draft, right? What was the, what are the points between homers and steals in, in tout? Is it like four for a homer and two for steals? Ryan read the league rules. He'll know. <laughs> yeah, I remember off the top of my head. Uh, I know steals are two. Uh, I had to look at the, the homers, to be honest. But, yeah, so if you're – if Alberto Mondesi is going to hit, like, five home runs, but he's going to steal you 35 bags, right? So that's 70 points in steals. But if homers are worth, let's say, four, maybe five points, you're only four. getting – so you're getting, what, 20 points from homers compared to – um, a guy like Juan Soto, who will be the opposite. He'll hit you 35 to 40 homers and get you, you know, five to six steals. He's worth twice as many points as an Alberto Mondesi because the homer difference it makes makes all the difference in the world. Right. In basketball, and this is where I can make a little bit of a comparison, in basketball, and my home league is a points league, I, I really do love points league. It just – it makes it feel a lot more fantasy sports-like to me. But on the other side, for instance, in basketball, where when I'm drafting, you're looking for the stats. You're looking for the Russell Westbrooks of the world who are mega multi most years, mega multi-category producers. <laughs> but I'm not focusing as much on percentages. I'm not focusing as much on shooting percentage. A guy can shoot 35% from the floor, which stinks, but... If he's taking 17 to 20 shots per game, that shot volume still saves his value where when you've got guys who are just slapping singles and that's it, a high batting average is great, but you need those guys that are going to have those deep shots to the gap and really get you all that production, kind of like a game of pinball. When you hit the ball, you want it to get as much action as possible on the bumpers. That's kind of where it is here. And little slap singles aren't going to get it done in this kind of league. Right. Points leagues favor more of an OPS approach um, than standard Roto does. So that's another thing you want to keep in mind. Uh, I feel like points leagues tends to, in my opinion, narrow the field of focus on the guys that you're looking at because there's some guys that you would consider, like David Fletcher is a very good cheap second base option in Roto because his batting average is good. He's going to score a decent amount of runs being in that lineup. And he'll steal, I don't know, five, six bags a year and hit five or six homers a year, right? In points leagues, he does you no good. Zero help because there's no points there. But in a roto league, he widens the category of second base for you. So that's my only drawback to points leagues um, is that I feel like it narrows the strategy for you because you're just looking for the double and homer hitters and then you kind of think about steals later ryan one more question i want to ask you here before because we got a, a 
talk about what happened with the Miami Dolphins and how they've just been wheeling and dealing. And at least from a fantasy side, a lot of options there. But before we do that, the last player I want to ask you about is Jesse Winker. And I know every situation is different, but for me, it's I'm asking you what your expectations are for him. You acquired him in your Talent Wars auction, and I actually have an opportunity. I have a keeper league that I'm joining, and I'm taking over a team. And one of my potential options is actually Jesse Winker, where I don't have to sacrifice any round draft pick because I don't know if he was picked up. I don't know if he was on some kind of deal, but it's a great value. But I have other options. Are you excited about Winker in Seattle? Uh, I'm less excited about him in Seattle than I was in Cincinnati, but uh, he's still a guy I like. I just feel like he has a good approach. Uh, you know, the 24 homers will probably get closer to 20. Uh, you know, maybe the doubles will go from 32 to 35, but, uh, you know, I'm hoping that the batting average stays and, and he can have some, you know, find the alleys in Seattle. Uh, you know, their lineup isn't good, but it's not horrible. Uh, and I'm hoping that he can be a major part of that, hit in the middle of the lineup. Uh, and maybe uh, maybe take another. I, know, I was going to say take another step forward, but I, I, I th- obviously his power numbers are probably going to go down a little bit. Uh, but it's his approach and his you know square, hitting the ball solidly that I think he can still be okay. Uh, depending on who your other options were, you know I needed some outfield that wasn't going to be too costly, uh, and he's a guy that I really liked last year, so I I spent a little on him. Um, I actually wrote the article on the Jesse Winker trade reaction for fa and if you look at his spray chart from the last three years um over at baseball savant and you overlay it on t-mobile park which is seattle's home park some of those doubles turn into home runs so the ball may not carry as far but the dimensions are smaller so i don't actually think there's going to be um a downside to the power um i know smaller than the great american small park well, it has to do with how the ball carries. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So, um, it plays the park plays smaller, but in actual physical dimension sense, I think T-Mobile Park is actually physically smaller. It just doesn't quite carry the way it does in Cincinnati. But if you look at the overlay where his doubles have landed, they've actually gone over the wall more often at T-Mobile Park. Now that doesn't take into account like wall height and whatnot. In terms of offense, uh, I think you can make the argument that the Mariners' offense is almost exactly the same as Cincinnati's was last year in terms of pop and and whatnot. Um, so I actually expect a very similar year from him this year. Um, not to mention that the AL West is a pretty fun place to hit with. I mean, Angel Stadium is kind of a homer pad. Um, Houston can be a pretty good hitter's park. Texas has a lot of doubles there. Oakland, eh, sort of. But, like, I actually expect a reasonably solid year from Jesse Winker. It'll be fun to see Jesse Winker now in Seattle. Let's go to the family table. We're each going to bring something to that table. What I'm bringing to the table, I'll start, guys, is I'm bringing a little reaction regarding this Tyreek Hill trade to Miami just beefs them up, but something that Andrew Cooper has said, something that Howard Bender has said that I actually agree with as well, is that if you're that juiced up about Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, then you got to start shifting up to a tug of Iloa, naturally. 
You can't just say, well, this quarterback, he's not that good, but he's got these two awesome receivers. Let's draft them high. And that's something that, you know, it's a direct correlation, at least to me, if that you're in that thought process. If you're one that's thinking, well, now you've got Jalen Waddle and you got Tyreek Hill. Are they going to be splitting targets too much? Is it going to be worth the asking price? That's a different path that you're going. But if you're all in on those two, then you got to be in on Tua. Yeah, I, um, I've had the same thought with Kirk Cousins the last few years, because if you've been all in on Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, then you have to be all in on the guy that's throwing them the football, right? Same thing with Stafford in the Like, I saw people going, oh, I like Cooper Cup, and I like Robert Woods, and I like the Rams offense, but Stafford's okay. But how? Like, I understand wide receivers put up points faster than quarterbacks, but, like, if the quarterback is throwing to all the wide receivers you like, the guy's going to get the points. So, um, And as far as target share, I saw a tweet from I don't remember who it was from, but he was they basically broke down the last year in non, you know, injury hampered or shortened appearances from Tua. He averaged more than 35 pass attempts a game. And if you factor Waddle at like 22% target share and Tyreek Hill at 24% target share, that's 147 targets for Hill and 130 something for Waddle if if those numbers hold. That's plenty of target share for both of them. So I complete. I'm completely there with you on, and this is a prove it year for Tua. Let's load up, give him all the help he needs, and then if he can't make it work, then he's clearly not the answer. Yeah, I saw someone commenting on his down the field, you know, down field throwing, and like, who did he have to throw to? Like a garbage pile of receivers that they've been rolling out there since they drafted him. I mean, let's not make Devontae Parker out to be a really good receiver. So uh, this is going to be a talent that he hasn't worked with before. I liked him. I went into last year betting Howard, uh, a two of Sam Darnold bet. Uh, Obviously that didn't go well for either one of us last year. And, but, uh, and we had to call it off when Tua got hurt. But I, I liked him going into last year. So I like him even more now with, with you know, all these weapons. You know, they, they bring in Chase Evans. They bring in Raheem Mostert to get hurt in week two. And now they have, you know, two really good receivers on top of a few others. They brought in Cedric Wilson and a couple other guys. So uh, I think Miami's offense is going to be pretty good. I don't know, as a Jets fan, how you felt about being toyed around with there for a couple hours as he decided between the two teams. But Yeah, the, uh, the quote was, no, nah, man, it was always Miami. The Jets, mm. the Jets who? I'm like, really? You could have kept that to yourself, though. <laughs> they they said, I was listening on the radio here, they said the Jets had the deal and were starting to negotiate the contract, and then the Dolphins swooped in at the last minute, and that's when it went to Miami. Yeah, I don't know how true that is, but I heard that on the radio here. Yeah, it's right. totally believable. Who would want to play for that organization over going down to sunny Florida and paying no state income tax? Also, I'm pretty sure he's from Miami oh, or the Miami area. I don't know. He's a coming he, he home. He, by the way, had to delay his own press conference because he had to go take a dump. I don't know if you guys saw that. <laughs> he had to rush to the bathroom. I mean, when, pulling a Lamar, but not on the field, you know. Listen, man, <laughs> when you got to go, you got to go, all right? Yeah. You know, they can wait. These reporters can wait another, like, five minutes or so. And the relief on his face when he came back from the bathroom, I, I felt bad for him. He had to go. Just so funny. I love it when, like, real life interferes with sports press conferences. Nature, that is. Sells, what are you bringing to the table? What I'm bringing to the table is that, uh, you know, usually I don't necessarily promote my own stuff. But we got a load oh, of NASCAR. We got a load of NASCAR <laughs> and F1 weekend. Um, we've got a fast track for F1, Jetta, 
which is in Saudi Arabia. And guess what? The race is at like noon on Sunday. So it's not even like an overnight thing. Like you could watch it and have a Sunday barbecue, watch the race. And then guess what? At 3.30 in the afternoon, we get more road racing because NASCAR is at COTA, Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. One of my favorite tracks on the schedule. Uh, and we get no rain this weekend, which is going to be glorious. Glorious to see these guys actually take on an F1-designed track. They literally designed the track from their favorite corners on F1 circuits around the world. So we've got, and guess what? All the content is free. It's free. So why not check it out? Last week, first F1 weekend, easily made my money back in DFS. Uh, Could have had a much bigger weekend if I if the coin had flipped the other way on one of the teammate pairings that I played. Um, so, yeah, why not play some free NASCAR content, free F1 content, and win some money? Absolutely. I like free. I like that for certain there. NASCAR now F1-2, Matt Sells, multi-time award winner in our fantasy sports industry. Ryan, I was like, wait, I was like, what, what is that? A paw just appearing in the screen right there. Ryan, what are you bringing to your table besides your dog, apparently? <laughs> speaking of Coda, which is up for best picture this weekend, and speaking of free, go to fantasyalarm.com slash Hollywood for our free Oscars competition. Uh, I think it's 24 questions, all categories, and then who is going to be the last dead person played in the montage. Uh so see if you can guess the most cash prizes, uh, $150, $25. Uh, so, again, fantasyalarm.com slash Hollywood uh, and get in for the Oscars of this Sunday at 8 o'clock. So get in pre-contest with a chance to win some money. So look at that. Your Sunday is covered with free F1, free NASCAR, and free Oscar content, and you could win at F1 DFS, NASCAR DFS, and the Oscar uh, contest that we have that we're giving away prizes for. But Fenstey's lost on the last dead person in the montage thing. Like, he's he's not going to be able to salvage the end of this Man. podcast. Dude, <laughs> I got the last question. I got to give Rick Wolf the, the credit on that one. I did not call well, that one myself. That's, that's just, that's just well, perfect it, right there. It's morbid, man. It's, it's That's amazing. Well, I'm guessing Betty White myself, but I don't know. Oh, it, it has to be Betty White. Right? That's it what I thought, to, too. Dude, if it's not Betty White, we riot. Okay, <laughs> I, I agree. The whole montage should just be Betty White. I don't yeah, care who else died. It should have her own separate montage. There should be the normal one, and then there's, and now, an additional one featuring <laughs> Betty White. And all I agree. her lovable animals. Yes. Like your dog that's currently <laughs> flipped upside right. down. We did a are involved in the local SPCA and they did a fundraiser for uh, her birthday and it, it was awesome, man. People gave a lot of money that day in her honor, so she gets a, an even extra little bit of, of love out of me. Unbelievable! Why, why Ryan, how upside people, down though? Oh, that's how, how she lays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. Hey, you know what, dogs? That just shows if dogs are lying on their backs, then they're very comfortable <laughs> with you. Look at that, you dog. It's the truth. It's the truth. We did research on this. We all have dogs. Ryan yeah. Howell, give him a follow at Fighting Chance on Twitter. Matt Sells, give him a follow at The Salesman. I'm Justin Fensterman at Fence Sports. We'll be back. But for now, let's all together as a family should, as one, always dominate. No other option. We will win. <laughs>